Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Agile for Humans is brought to you by Audible.com. Get one free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, and Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson. Visit www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile to enjoy your free audiobook today. Processes and tools dominate today's agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right, welcome to another episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. We are still in Indianapolis at the Agile Indie Conference. Just an amazing venue, great setup, uh, really uh, turning into one of the better Midwest conferences. Uh, got the opportunity to, to speak with Josh Karevsky. Josh, how are you? So glad you decided to, to join me on the show. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. I feel you. like I've talked to the, the majority of your staff at Industrial Logic. We have... Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the listeners will remember Tim Ottinger, Arlo Belshi, a number of, of great agilists uh, that work at Industrial Logic with you. But finally, you're with us. Uh, you just gave a keynote a little bit ago. So uh, thanks for joining us after doing an hour on Modern Agile. I think a big question that I have, uh, at least for the, the listener's sake, is, you know, when it comes to Modern Agile, it's a, it's a restatement of the manifesto. It's an extension of the manifesto. Um, but what is your ultimate goal as you as you promote uh, the modern agile concepts? First of all, I'd, I'd like people to um, be aware that that the industry that agile itself is improving, right? So, if you happen to have been taught a, a class or got a certification, and um, you know, not to say that all the the classes themselves aren't, aren't useful, but there's a lot of stuff that's, that's relatively. Uh, new uh, and, and we, some of it's ten years old at this point, but that's still considered new for some people. 
uh, then I'd like to open their eyes to that. Really, Modern Agile was born out of me sort of being surprised that uh, the people I was encountering are just still practicing very old forms of Agile that we've you know long since um, retired. We've moved on to faster, better, simpler ways of working um, through experimentation, through just simple, um, just trying stuff. It's not just us. Like uh, continuous deployment was not a thing, you know, 15 years ago. No one was doing that. I mean, maybe maybe there are some shops in the world that were doing it, but for the large majority of practitioners, no one. That wasn't the term. You know, we were doing continuous integration. So if you don't look at continuous deployment or continuous delivery and say, wow, this is something that we could get our heads around and, and maybe do. That's one of many things you could be doing to really up your game, right? So what I'm trying to do is what I've always been trying to do is help people and teams and companies get a whole lot better at um, the outcomes they're going for. Uh, Agile has been you know, the umbrella term for many different ways of working. So modern Agile is really just, uh, a, a, I think modern means you're always modernizing. You're always looking for a better way. And hey, it could be, I'm going to take something from 30 years ago that, you know, was very, very useful. Let's say it's wideband Delphi estimation technique. I think Dan North recently wrote something about blink estimation, which is very similar. And it's like, okay, cool. This is a really good technique. Maybe it could help us go faster than we do today. Let's, let's use it. Let's try it. Let's experiment with it. Let's constantly experiment with our process to be better and better and better. And that's, that's the essence of why I call it modern. Modernizing, always looking to improve. So there's aspects to it. Uh, there's, there's four quadrants that you have, or four, four sections. One of them is that experimentation. And I, I have a concern. I haven't talked about this publicly. I think you're the perfect person to breach this, and hopefully the listeners create a little safety to, to talk about this. But experimentation, to me, runs counter to a lot of the certification bodies out there right now. Mm -hmm. And my concern is when you have like the, the scrum guide, mm -hmm. and then you have trainers, and then you have offerings, or even you have agile courses, mm -hmm. and you have this, this dogma that has to stay static, mm -hmm. or, or else there's tremendous expense yeah. to, to changing the, the narrative. And right. uh, I'm wondering if we got away from that message of experimentation through this, this building up of, a, of an industry mm -hmm. uh, of training, certification, offerings, and is this a way, at least in some extent, to just, rem just get back to the idea that even Agile is supposed to be inspected and adapted. Like we're supposed to be yeah. always evolving uh, these practices and thoughts and perhaps breaking away from, from some of those challenges that, that some of the industrial aspects of Agile have, have brought forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that phrase inspect and adapt, you know, it, it's probably one of the most underused um, principles or, or sayings from Scrum. Uh, places tend to get mired in the rituals and don't right. necessarily practice, inspect, and adapt, right? Um, so, you know, it, 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 it is built in to things like Scrum and Extreme Programming had this as well, but they were under, just not emphasized enough with Eric Reese really turning um, Lean Startup into the concept of uh, experiments and scientific right. uh, method and all of that. that. That really changed the game and making sure you treat your 
your requirements as guesses <laughs> that you need to experiment with as, as inexpensively and as rapidly as possible. So, you know, I think there's this there's these opposing forces, which is that more and more people and companies want to become agile. Right. Or as they say, do agile. Um, and do right off the bat, if you say do agile, they mean like what's the what are the five steps I follow versus how do I become agile and how do I continue to get more agile. Um, so there's this competing because like all these companies want to take advantage of it, especially when you got Harvard Business Review coming up and saying you know everyone's going agile. Right. You know every company's looking around going how about us? You know so. There, this the concept of scaling needs to be there, you know, because you, you need to, and and we, I gave a speech, God, many years ago now at the Agile Big Agile Conference. This was in Calgary at the time. I called it commoditizing agility, hmm. and it was the kind of t- title that could, you know, bother people maybe because the concept of commoditization usually connotates something bad, sure, for a lot of people. Oh, that's been commoditized. But if you actually really study commoditization, um, it can be very, very good, or it can be very bad, right? Like, like let's talk about like a J unit. You sure. know, it's a it's a commodity. You know, it's it's just it's free. It's you use it. It's if you modify J unit so that you know it has special things for you specifically, and then a new version comes out, you can't actually use the new version because you're already locked into your version. Guess what? You've decommoditized. A commodity um, and so commodities are very you can build on top of commodities right sure. Harley-Davidson is, is known for being incredibly good at customizing motorcycles from commoditized parts and pieces um, so I was interested in commoditizing agility by help meaning making really impactful e-learning that could teach people skills um, I mean, it's high, it's big aspirational stuff. How could we teach people skills to be really, really good at something like refactoring without being there? Right. And that was the goal. Uh, I don't think you can ever really achieve that goal, but you try, try. Because then it could be, if that worked, you could spread that across thousands and thousands of people. And suddenly, if they went through this thing, they'd be very skilled. That's the idea, to me, of commodities, good commoditization. Right. What we ended up with, with a lot of the certifications, is a commoditization of, you know, this sort of two-day dip, sheep dipping approach, which uh, isn't an ongoing, you know, learning model. It's very superficial. Um, it's not like targeted one little practice like we were trying to do with e-learning. And I say trying, we did, we succeeded. We, we've hit, you know, thousands of people have studied from our, our stuff. Um, so. Yeah, how do you deal with the large scale of people wanting to become agile versus ossifying the practice, right? Because things change, you get better, you learn, oh, that old way, there's a better way to do it now. So I think you just, the best companies remain, um, the best people, the best companies remain lifelong learners. You know, um, there's the book, Peter Senge's book, The the Learning Organization. Sure. Um, No, The Fifth Element, sorry, The Fifth Element. (laughs) which is about the learning organization. So uh, continuous learning certainly plays into it. It's one of those that uh, I, I tend to agree that if you're not inspecting, adapting, learning almost continually, uh, back to the, there was a keynote this morning about uh, companies that don't follow that will be gone in seven years. Mm-hmm. By, you know, in 2020, the, the bar will be so high. 
that if you're not if you're not learning continually, your company won't make it past the seven year mark. Yeah. And they're saying that that's been a, on an accelerated path. You know, back in the 30s, a company could expect to to last 70 years. Mm-hmm. And in the 50s, it shrunk down to to 30, and that just it's an exponential line going. Right. And I, I find it interesting that while there is um, that, I think that's almost accepted now. I don't think anyone's arguing against that. But are you seeing the kind of investment uh, in continuous learning at the at these large Fortune 1,000, 500, 50, 10, whatever size that you pick? Mm-hmm. Are you actually seeing that kind of investment now? I am. I, I'm the, the the smart companies are definitely um, getting much more experimental. Sure, they are actually putting real money into experiments, trying things out. Um, I'm, I'm seeing it's getting it's getting better and better. It really is. Um, it's 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 absolutely critical to, for this to occur. So things are, are shifting. I, I think the competitive pressures are such now that people really realize they've got to experiment, and they have to create a culture that allows for for failure to occur, I mean, safe failure, the way uh, I mentioned in the keynote, Amazon does, treating right. the treating the entire environment like a venture capital fund, from which you can't you expect there to be failures and you know that the successes are going to easily pay for the failures so you know set up as many things as you can expect failures and it's, it's okay yeah i think the the problem that some companies haven't grabbed onto yet is that the alternative like so if you're not going to set up the learning organization and continual learning you're just going to get disrupted yeah I mean, yeah i mean that's that's just a the the cab industry mm-hmm. never saw uber coming Right. Ride share was thought as just unsafe, crazy. Yeah, they just pushed that to the side. Now suddenly, at least in my in Chicago, everyone's got the Uber app out. Mm-hmm. I mean, Uber's had some some missteps lately. <laughs> I think I think they'll get through it, or maybe Lyft will will disrupt them. Yeah, but in any case, the cab is the last resort now, and I don't think anyone would have thought that as short as what three four years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's all saw it with Blockbuster, same type of right. thing. They're resting on their laurels. Um, they're not realizing that they, they need to try to put themselves out of business. This is the standard business wisdom: is sure. what can you do to put yourself out of business? Because you better start doing that. <laughs> right. um, that's real safety. That's that's making safety a prerequisite. Is to is to approach it like that. Andy Grove, you know, only the paranoid survive. Um, from Intel, you know, um, that's the companies that really get ahead are constantly. Amazon is like saying, look, even before the customers ask us for something that is even cooler than what we provide, we're already working on it, thinking they're going to be like, oh yeah, that really cool thing they did, and now it's like ho hum, whatever, we're used to it. What's even better? You know, like, oh, well, I'll deliver you something in 30 minutes. Like, <laughs> you know, and again, you're not asking for it, but they know you want it. Eventually, we will want it, right? right so it's coming. Right. Uh, you've mentioned the word safety a few mm-hmm. times, and actually, this is what I mean. You know, the, Tim Oniger's a friend already. Would love I would love talking to him on the podcast. He's on quite a bit. But when he started introducing me to Modern Agile, and he said that you guys have made safety a prerequisite, I instantly bought in, and I think this is actually. I hope this is actually the the, the pillar. Or, or the section that people come back to years from now and say, this is what put us into the next phase. Yeah. Can you just go into, I mean, when people hear safety, I think they hear a lot of there's physical safety, psychological safety, organizational safety. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of different types of safety. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you after with, with making safety a prerequisite? How do, you, how do you see that in companies? And really, you know, where does that, 
does it actually take us to that next level? Yeah, so um, I think the, the light bulb moment for me with safety was with uh, reading about Paul O'Neill's work at uh, Alcoa. And this was in the book The Power of Habit. So if you read that book, it's a New York Times bestselling book by Charles Duhigg. The story is, is phenomenal. I mean, he, Paul worked, became CEO of a 100-year-old company. Yeah. You know, By 1986, it was 100 years old. And I, I don't want to give it all away, but long story short, he made worker safety his thing, the main, main... It wasn't a priority either, because priorities shift. Um, he made safety a prerequisite at Alcoa, he said. He went around to every factory. He said, look, if, you're, if you find something unsafe... Fix it. Don't wait till next year's budget. I'll I'll figure out a way to pay for it. Um, and he, I mean, the workers, everything transformed there. I mean, it just blossomed. And you know, you could also look at this as a way of saying, how did um, how did you make them self-organizing or give them autonomy? Well, now they have the autonomy to make their own work environment safer. This led them to be more valued and feel more valued. This led them to be more innovative. So innovation flourished there. The union stopped fighting because now they realized they had a guy looking after their people. So suddenly they could do a seven-year deal uh, instead of banging heads every year on, on the union contract. Um, quality got better. Everything improved. And, and steadily uh, the, the injuries went down. They were already acceptable when he joined. I mean, they were at acceptable levels for OSHA. You know, the Occupational Safety and Hazard Administration. But they kept going down and down and down, and revenue just kept going up and up and up. Um, and so it's, it's an amazing story of changing a 100-year-old company. And he was there for, Polonia was there for 13 years. Uh, and, and when he left, the trends continued. So he really transformed it, not just like, oh, the, the inspirational leader leaves and it goes back to what it was. No, that he changed the DNA of a 100-year-old company. So that blew my mind, and I, I started really thinking deeply about safety. And of course, I realized, hey, safety is in what we do in Agile. I mean, you could look at extreme programming and find all kinds of safety in there. Well, we were never really talking about it explicitly. And so when we started to talk about it explicitly, it became clear, you know, there's financial safety. I love what Lean Startup talks about is a rapidly invalidating uh, an idea instead of just building it first and then seeing if anyone wants it, well, why don't we just, what's the fastest, cheapest, quickest way we can invalidate the idea so we don't even have to build it, potentially? Um, that's, that's financial safety. You know, you're saving time, you're saving money. Really important to businesses. Um, then there's like reputational stuff, right? I remember we, you know, once sold some of our e-learning to a customer and that customer didn't end up using it much. It was just, they're too busy and didn't get used. I felt so bad for that purchaser because she got a kind of, you know, bad eye, black eye, if you will, for that particular purchase because here she bought some shelfware. Um, that made me feel bad for her. We weren't protecting her. So there's that level of safety there. There's the safety on the team, you know, being able to have difficult conversations, a famous book, Difficult Conversations, or how to work um, in a psychologically safe environment, as you said. Um, you know, these things are don't they don't come easy. It takes it takes some training. It takes some work to learn how to be safe uh, psychologically. Um, what Paul O'Neill would say too is that I'll call if there was a if there was an injury, they would get to the bottom of it. They'd come up with a solution for it, and then they didn't just fix it at that factory. They fixed it at all of their factories worldwide. I forget how many there were, but maybe three hundred and forty at the time. 
But I mean, Dave's like, we don't want this problem to ever occur in any one of our factories. So we're going to spend time getting the message out, fixing it. And he said, this was our competitive advantage that they went, that other companies couldn't do that as well. So, so they learned from a mistake and they deployed that learning organization wide. You're talking a big organization, big worldwide organization. So it, it was just utterly inspirational to me. And I thought, wow, safety really is the keystone habit to, um, to excellence. The only trouble is that people don't really care about safety for the most part. They want it to be there, but it's not like they go out and say, I want to buy safety. You know, when you buy a phone, you're not like, that's the safest phone on the market. No, it's like, well, I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. I like the plan I get with it. Now, if someone robs your data from that phone, right. you don't feel too safe. And maybe you never get that phone again. Uh, but that's usually an afterthought. <laughs> or unless it's a Galaxy Note S7, right? Right, that it blows up. in your pocket. <laughs> Suddenly you want to be safe. But no, I think what it did uh, for me, it was a light bulb moment to where I thought, finally someone is making the cultural shift explicit. Yeah. Like, because you can read the manifesto and, and there, there are people who would argue there's no management lessons in the principles. That's just for developers. Mm. It was a developer play. It was 17 devs, you know, at a ski lodge. Yeah. You know, which I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. I think there's there's deep insights oh, yeah. uh, in, all over the place if you just read it, mm -hmm. internalize it, you know, spend yeah. years thinking about those things. Sure. But what you've done, I think, is actually take you've taken that cult cultural shift and said this is part of it. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to do this, it's not agile. And yep. that's a pretty wide and deep stake to put in the ground. Yeah. I'm sure there's been, or maybe you can, maybe I should just ask instead of assume. I mean, has there been some blowback from some of the, the things that you've tried to, to put out there? And where are you seeing some of the, the resistance? No, I mean, uh, mostly it's very, very positive. Uh, people are, they, they find that describing Agile via the, the four modern Agile principles, I sometimes call them uh, imperatives, the four imperatives, because I think that they're imperative for, for real success. Um, I, I have very little criticism of those. Um, I mean, some people think I'm trying to just one-up the manifesto, and that's really not the case at all. I never set out to do that. I wrote a blog. Uh, Carl Scotland in the UK said, you know, actually, those four circles in the diagram with all this other stuff, those four seem like the most important parts, and uh, and that they he related them to the manifesto's values. And I thought, you know, Carl's got a pretty good idea here. This, these, these four, these four principles really do um, relate to the to the original manifesto uh, values, but kind of taken in a different direction. The make people awesome one is one of my favorites because it's. I don't think agile, as I said in the keynote today, I don't think agile ever really stated what we wanted to accomplish. It's like that was always upstream. You know, work in an agile way, but the people upstream are going to tell you what to work on. And I think with Lean Startup, and I think with what we've been doing with Modern Agile, is saying, you know, actually we need a direction. Because imagine being really agile and slamming into a wall. <laughs> right? That's not, you wouldn't say that's very agile. You were agile up to the point when you hit the wall, but then you hit right. the wall and you look like a kind of doofus. Uh, you know, that's not that agile. you got to know where you're going. you got to know what you're trying to achieve. And... That's what Make People Awesome is about. I think Kathy Sierra, you know, nailed it when she, she said, let's, let's focus on making users badass at whatever they do. If it's accounting or 
balancing the checkbook or making a beautiful photograph. Um, let's focus on them. Modern Agile says, yeah, let's focus on them and also on the on the rest of the, the, the crew we work with, our teammates and our, our managers and stakeholders. Let's focus on making them awesome. So that's a very clear direction. Um, so it is, it is, you know, trying to move in, in that in that way. Um, and then the experiment, learn rapidly, and deliver value continues. They're kind of like how you get there. What do you what do you actually do? But it's, it, what also is interesting about the make people awesome, it, it seems like there, there's the concept of obliquity, which I'm sure you're familiar with, where you're attacking a problem from a, a different angle. Mm-hmm. And it seems like if a company were to just state as a core value, making people awesome is what we do. Yeah. It seems like those other items just flow. Mm-hmm. But that's so counterintuitive in a lot of these big companies. It's Yeah. I, but I, what I have seen, and I, and I think Modern Agile and the influence of you and Tim and Arlo, you know, spreading this message and many others. I know Bill yeah. Wake. I mean, you've got yeah, some yeah. of the, the top people at Industrial Logic pushing this idea. And what I'm starting to see is that uh, that language is entering companies. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and it's really fascinating to see where the, the focus on the employee. Mm-hmm. Now, whether they realize that they're creating safety or they're just trying to do the right thing or however they, they wrap it. Yeah. There are actually studies coming out. There, there's uh, case reports coming out from these companies where it's, we focused on people mm-hmm. and suddenly our profits went up. Right. And they're trying to like connect those dots and it's, yeah. we're not even going to worry about the science or the math, just keep focusing on that. Yep. So it really is, it is a real thing. It's something that um, I'm very appreciative that you've brought forward and, and through your, your work and your company's work. Yeah. I know that we get a lot of great reception to these ideas on the podcast. So just mm-hmm. want to say thank you for that. My pleasure. And, uh, pleasure. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, again, to modern agile is a dot org. So there are other companies besides, besides industrial logic that are uh, interested and uh, that are moving it forward. They're, you know, bringing it into their companies and, evolving things for it um, so I, I'm excited for the future of it uh, I'm trying to keep it as a dot org you know so it's it's meant to be guided by a whole bunch of different people and um, well, I think that's an important point that doesn't get brought up often enough is that this is an idea that you've made free to the world yeah like you don't have to sit through a two-day course to get the no the modern agile vibe it's right. here, here's an idea yeah uh, let's discuss it and run with it which is another great you know the dot org has been a great gift to the community as well. Yeah, thanks. But I, I, you know, what I have found too is it does take some training to, to get folks to really understand what this means. Um, they a lot of people don't. They will say, you know, here's my critique of it. I can't just work from the principles. You got to give me some idea of what to do. Sure. You know, so um, we're working on that. We have workshops. We do teach. We don't really, you know, go around saying you know, come to my five thousand dollar a day. <laughs> class um, but we do teach them and uh, we're always refining how we teach but it's it's modern agile again is not just for IT really I've like I said in the keynote I mean here's an example from uh, a three-star Michelin restaurant or here's an example from you know when I started blogging or vid- sorry video blogging on YouTube you know get some equipment what's the first thing you do if you're an agilist you know when you have a bunch of equipment you know I'm sure <laughs> What's the first thing I do with a bunch of equipment? Yeah, you're gonna make your you're gonna make a podcast, but you got all this new equipment. What do you do? I just give it a shot and see how it's gonna sound. I, I hook up the minimum that I need That's to get it. going. Like right yeah. right now, we're we're on a laptop mm-hmm. and a 
and a very inexpensive USB microphone. Right, but you might make a 10-second show first yep. and see if see it works. See how it sounds. See how it sounds. Yep. Run it all the way through. That's a walking skeleton. That's yep. evolutionary design. That's you're, you're making safety a prerequisite because why record an entire show if you haven't tested that the stuff works correctly, right? And you're right. I have test recordings here to make sure that this was going to go fine. Right. So I totally right. Yeah. So I mean, I just see those principles applying to a variety of things, not just software. I think that's an important point too of modern agile is we're seeing this, um, and it, it can sound, oh wow, he's so grandiose. He's trying to go outside of, but boy, we've seen our own clients say, hey, how do I apply this to my hardware team? You know, we've worked with hardware teams to help them. Sure. And they're like, what are you doing? You're a software person. Why are you talking to the mechanical engineer and the electrical engineer? And, but it's like, you know, it's the same. CI, continuous integration, applies to you as much as it does to uh, software developers. It's slightly different, but, you know, you guys have to integrate at some point. So maybe try integrating earlier. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's, I see a lot of uh, use of it for, in other areas. So I know you, we've got a, a hard stop. I want to be respectful of that. So this great discussion i really appreciate you doing this wanted to give you a quick opportunity you know everyone that comes on the show gets a, a space at the end anything you'd like to promote anything that you'd like to get listeners in front of any any ways that they can interact whether it's twitter mm -hmm. uh, linkedin anything like that so the floor is yours anything you'd like to to talk about uh would love to hear it yeah um well, i'm i'm joshua karievsky that's k-e-r-i-e-v-s-k-y on twitter and i'm on linkedin and facebook and other places um i'm i'm giving a lot of speeches around the world so that's a bunch of things coming up germany and prague and Mont uh, toronto and a bunch of a bunch of them australia so i'll be speaking a lot of places um you know, I, I would love it if people join the Modern Agile community, ask questions, learn more, go to modernagile.org, go to the community section and you can find one of our, our groups like the Slack community or the Facebook community. Um, and we'd be delighted to have you learn more. There's, uh, if you want stickers, you can get them there at no, you know, there's, it's not no cost, but it's no profit. We, we just sell them for what we get them. Um, and yeah, I, I appreciate the, chance to talk to you today right yo thanks for doing this uh we caught josh uh, right after his keynote so he had to he spoke for an hour and then was gracious enough to do this so thank you again for doing this pleasure and uh we'll get links to uh your upcoming talks the community all the books that we talked about uh, we'll make sure that gets in the show notes so that listeners can dig in more there's a lot of great reference material here so i hope everyone takes advantage of it so josh thanks again really enjoyed this thanks ryan appreciate and, uh, it Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.